This is a production of Women's Voices, a volunteer organization recording women's literary works for the purpose of education and broader access to the public. For more information, visit womens-voices.org. Over the last several years, transgender activism has made sweeping gains. Proponents of this ideology have succeeded in positioning gender identity as the social justice issue of our day. But are the claims made by these activists actually true? What does it mean to say that people can be born in the wrong body? Does the concept of gender identity break down stereotypes about the nature of men and women, or does it reinforce them? And what about the rights of women and girls? On February 1, 2020, the U.S.-based organization Women's Liberation Front hosted a panel event called The New Misogyny. Three women's rights campaigners, Megan Murphy, Saba Malik, and Kara Dansky, presented a critical analysis of gender identity and made arguments for sex-based women's rights. The event took place at the Seattle Public Library in downtown Seattle, Washington, despite protesters inside and outside the building. This is the talk that was given by Saba Malik, a radical feminist who serves on the board of directors for the Fertile Ground Institute, a nonprofit organization working for ecological justice. Um, I'm going to speak uh, not just on behalf of myself, but also on behalf of my sister in struggle, Cherry Smiley, an indigenous woman who was not able to be here today at the event for personal reasons. Um, so I'm going to do my bit, and then I'm going to do her bit, okay? So anyway, so my name is Sabah Malik, hello. And I'm grateful to be here tonight. Um, I thought long and hard before accepting the offer to speak uh, on this panel, partly because my life is a very busy one, and so any time away from my family uh, necessarily comes with some disruption to them and to me. But also because this topic has become so contentious that it involves a certain amount of risk. Now, before becoming a mother, uh, the, that would not have been a reason for me to decline. But knowing that my children might face backlash because of my views, that certainly gives me pause for thought. Um, I decided, finally, that it was important for my voice to be part of this panel for two good reasons. Um, the first, because it's important to speak the truth and, and show solidarity. Show solidarity with women who are risking their well-being, their reputation, and in some cases, their careers to be here. And also, and this is really important, because I felt that as a woman of color, um, I should be here to refute the idea that believing biology is important and that a woman is an adult human female is the same as being racist. Yeah. You know, trans activists and, and their supporters have more than once characterized themselves as the new civil rights frontier. Now, as a woman who's experienced racism personally, systemically, 
and systematically, I find this comparison distressing and actually really offensive. But let me say really clearly, uh, I firmly believe that all human beings deserve basic human rights. They deserve to live without fear of oppression or violence, to have access to housing, to have access to jobs and equality before the law and judicial systems. Whoever you are, however you dress, however you present yourself, however you identify, none of that is up for discussion at all. So the reason I find the charge of my beliefs vis-a-vis -vis the protection of women's sex-based rights being the same as racism is that it's a false comparison and it completely obscures the issue. It's a false comparison to conflate 400 years of slavery, murder, rape, torture, Jim Crow, and the segregation of public spaces by whites against black people with attempts to open women's bathrooms, shelters, prisons, locker rooms, and other female-only spaces. Thanks for the love. Um, and other female-only spaces to male-born people simply on the basis that they identify as women. That apparently makes me transphobic, or even a Nazi, actually. Now, as a woman of Muslim and Pakistani heritage, that word transphobe has often felt to me uh, like the term anti-American or anti-American, as you lot say. <laughs> and uh, I've been accused of being both. <laughs> so um, I compare these two slurs because both of these terms are used to fire up emotions uh, and to shut down any kind of robust discussion. What does it mean to be transphobic? Phobia means uh, having an unexplained fear, okay? I, I don't have an unexplained fear of, of people who identify as transgender, I don't. I have a disagreement with their definition of what gender is, okay? That's a far cry from being phobic. I'm not here to encourage violence towards anyone. I'm not here to claim that I'm better or that I'm superior, or that I'm more evolved than anyone else. I'm here to question the idea that womanhood is something which anyone can identify into. So back to the idea of false comparisons. When I think of the civil rights movement and whatever has been captured about it in writing, in film, media, pictures, etc. What I'm confronted with is images of black people being attacked by dogs, uh, state-sanctioned violence, okay, by dogs and clubs and water hoses while they linked arms and tried to withstand the brutality of the opposition. I'm confronted with images of white adults braying abuse and screaming at the children who were picked to first desegregate schools in this country and of those children being escorted by police and armed guards just to enter a building. So the irony, the claim, 
of my being racist is not lost on me when I, along with the other panelists, had to be escorted tonight by police through a separate entrance because of the protest over this event, and also because of numerous threats and suggestions of harm to us personally, in including a bomb threat earlier today where they had the police and the sniffer dogs and, and everything. I've received both rape and death threats for choosing to be here tonight. I know these other women have too. I find it interesting how the rape threats keep coming, almost as though we have some bodily characteristic that played an important part in that definition. What I don't understand is why I'm called violent when I have not threatened anyone. I have never called for anyone to be deplatformed or removed from a job simply because they disagree with me ideologically. And yet my disagreement is, for, is, I did, is defined as a form of violence by trans activists. My belief that sex-based rights, which women have fought so hard for, are important and not negotiable, is considered as bad as racism and an attempt to erase trans people. I'm not sure how that's even possible. My disagreement with someone does not erase them. If that were true, none of us would be here, <laughs> right? Because there's not a single human being alive who doesn't know someone who disagrees with some part of their ideology. I don't like the term cis woman, but if someone calls me a cis woman, it's not violence, and it doesn't erase me. I would have had, had to have an incredibly fragile existence for that to be true. <clears throat> Biological sex is important. Historically, women's biology has been the basis of our oppression since civilization reared its head. We were not oppressed because we performed womanhood in some way or wore certain clothes. We were owned by men, so our sexual and our reproductive capacities could be commodified, as well as our labor. When humans first moved away from hunting, gathering, and they started to practice agriculture, they found that it required a large labor force, and, uh, as well as more and more land, right? So tribes who conquered other tribes would kill all the men, and they would keep the women. And they did that because women can reproduce and a constant supply of workers is necessary. There was the added benefit of women's forced labor and being used for sexual gratification. Women in this country were still chattel um, as late as the late 19th century, maybe even more. Uh, that means that they were owned by their male relatives. I mean, that literally means that they could be bought, sold, won, and lost in card games, and they were. You can look it up, look at it, his, history. Um, so those hard-won sex-based rights that women before us campaigned for, and in some cases lost their lives for, are incredibly important, because they are an acknowledgement that women, as a class, have suffered immensely at the hands of men as a class. Those Title IX rights are still important. Women and girls have a right to their private spaces. They shouldn't be afraid to express that. Many young girls don't want to share their locker rooms and other private spaces with boys 
who claim that they're girls. They don't want to compete against them in sports either, but they're too afraid to say. They think that that's unfair. What about their rights? What about their rights? This is a, this is a core distinction between those of us who are silenced uh, on the one hand and trans activists on the other. Trans activists go beyond promoting civil rights for trans people by insisting that trans women are literally women and that as such they're entitled to unfettered access to women's spaces, sports, affirmative action slots, and more. It feels like the silencing of women all over again. The extremists have succeeded in injecting the trans women are women concept into all sorts of policies already adopted by sports associations, school districts, and government agencies. They're pushing for more. The Equality Act in the US Congress gives gender identity, a person's self-declaration as to whether they're male or female, regardless of biological reality, precedence over sex as a protected category in federal civil rights laws. These are enormously important decisions being made that will literally affect thousands of women and girls, and yet a robust discussion and critique of those policies is not allowed. It's past time for people to stand up and be counted and to stop being afraid. One of my old professors sent me a message before my appearance here today, and I wish to share that message with all of you as I end my portion of the talk. She said to me, courage calls to courage everywhere. I hope that's true. Thank you for that. So, um, as I said, my, my, my sister, Cherry Smiley, um, could not be here today. She is from uh, the Intlakupmukh uh, Thompson tribe on her mother's side and the Navajo Diné on her father's side. And this is what she asked me to say to everyone tonight. Thank you to everyone who has come here today to listen, learn, and question the idea of gender identity and how it impacts women and girls. Thank you to the panelists and organizers who put this event together. A special thank you to my sister in struggle, Sabah, for inviting me to speak through this letter and for sharing her time with me. What I had wanted to speak about today was the ways in which transgender ideology is being uncritically accepted in culture, law, and policy and the ways in which indigenous women are silenced by trans activism. In universities and among activists today, I often hear that pre-colonization, indigenous cultures had many genders and transgender or two-spirit identified individuals were respected and held leadership positions. Maybe this was true in some nations, 
but it was not true for all nations. Generally, we find third, fourth, fifth genders in cultures where gender roles were very rigid already. My grandmother's historical research and also her life experience tells me that many, if not most nations, had much less rigid ideas about gender, not more. To have one sex dependent on the other for basic needs seems more of a reflection of modern culture than anything else. For example, if only men knew how to hunt and hunted, what would happen if a number of men were injured or ill or died? What would happen in the middle of a tough winter when everyone needed to pitch in? It would make sense that most members of a nation, female and male, would need to know how to survive and be able to put the knowledge into practice. This would mean less rigid gender roles. Secondly, and perhaps more importantly, why does it matter? I used to believe very strongly that most indigenous nations in Canada were matriarchal and that women were respected and they held leadership positions. Maybe this was true in some nations, <laughs> but it wasn't true for all nations. At the time, this claim served my relief my belief, her belief. After some serious self-reflection and research, I have come to understand that I was mistaken to rely on this claim to advocate for the liberation of indigenous women and girls. These kinds of claims, whether they work for our beliefs or not, silence discussion, in particular, the claims about gender and transgendered identified individuals being leaders and revered medicine people pre-colonization work to silence feminist women who want to abolish gender. It used to be this way, so it should be this way, is an impossible claim to prove. It's politically lazy, and it abandons women from historically patriarchal cultures, and has been long used to justify male violence against women and girls in many cultures, including ours today. Also, and importantly, what I know from my grandmother is that in, in Tlakmakbuch culture, homosexuality was accepted, but there was also an understanding that female and male bodies are entirely different. Male-bodied people were not allowed into female ceremonies or sacred rites, and vice versa. Indigenous women in Canada fought for decades for a national inquiry into murdered and disappeared indigenous women and girls, and when we got that national inquiry, it became about women, girls, and the two SLGBTQQIA communities. Emphasis on the two, SL, two SLGBTQQIA communities without any notice or discussion. We were told to make sure that men who identified as two SLGBTQQIA were included and disproportionate amounts of time and resources and energy went into discussing everyone else but indigenous women in our own inquiry. If the issue of male violence against indigenous 2SLGBTQQIA communities is as pressing as they claim, an appropriate strategy would have been to demand a separate inquiry on that issue so that it could be thoroughly examined. There are specific historical and contemporary reasons and solutions as to why women and girls, particularly indigenous women and girls, are harmed and attacked by men. 
I don't believe in the idea of gender identity. Biology is a material reality. Human beings cannot change sex, and men oppress women on the basis of our sex. Gender is made up of rules, limitations, and expectations that harm women and benefit men. To say that we are each born with a gender identity is an idea that can and should be debated, and its impacts on our material realities as women examined with a feminist analysis. This is a really important point. The idea of gender should not be examined in isolation. When it is those critical of gender identity, when it is those critical of gender identity are often right-wing, conservative, and or religious men from organizations that advocate for sexist, racist, and classist policies that hurt women. The debate around gender is important for feminists because it forms a foundation for our movement. How can we even begin to form a feminist analysis that centers women if we are pressured to believe anyone is a woman and we are told to include and prioritize men who identify as transgender women in our work? How can we fight for women and girls when we are not allowed to set our own priorities, our own boundaries in regard to our politics, our organizing, and our safety? This has broader implications for other oppressed communities. We need to take a stand on this issue, but always in the context of working towards women's liberation in a patriarchy, and always with the knowledge that there is lots of work to be done on many issues. Indigenous women who don't say and do what white people want us to say and do are being silenced. I've personally experienced online harassment I've been denied opportunities, kicked off stages and out of conferences, threatened with the police, threatened by men, and so much more, often by academics and activists, because I have different beliefs and a different political analysis of a single issue, gender. That impacts everyone. The message this sends is that indigenous women are only welcome to speak if we say what you want us to say. To this, I say, no deal. <laughs> Disagree with me, challenge me, but I am allowed to say that I love and fight for women and girls. I am allowed to say what I think, and that's what I'm going to do. <laughs>